Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. So, um, I believe I, I gave a similar talk in June on Bain, or something like this, on what Guru is. Maybe some of you have been there. Um, so, let's see where it goes today. <clears throat> what I was thinking to do is to talk for like half an hour, usually half an hour becomes three and a half hour, I'll try not to do that. Um, and then do some Q&A, like have a little like question and answer, try to figure out maybe some question comes up about the subject today, or about why Esmeralda is so mean when she's teaching primarily, <laughs> or uh, whatever might come up for you in, uh, in this uh, uh, today, whatever questions there might be. Hey, Patty. <clears throat> All right, so um, yesterday when I was preparing for this, I was listening to some music, and I was listening to David Bowie. And uh, you know, one of these like iconic songs he has, uh, Heroes, you remember that one? Um, I can be the um, We can be heroes, you remember that song? <clears throat> so I was thinking about perhaps the whole basis for this whole Guru Shisha, this whole Guru Disciple principle is that we all need a hero. We all need someone to look up to. We all need someone uh, who lives a life that we can aspire to. We all need some kind of hope in our small pathetic lives. Or should I just speak for myself? <laughs> so, um, and then the question is, who are we looking up to? Is it David Bowie? Is it rock stars? Is it movie stars? Like, who are we looking up to? Um, and there's many different ways, and there's many different groups. Um, but some of us, we are looking towards yoga for these rock stars, these, uh, these heroes. And in the... Uh, and I think what we perhaps are uh, uh, intrigued by is this long lineage of yogis, rishis, sages that um, populates the yoga tradition <clears throat> and whom we read about in obscure texts that has uh, 
mastered obscure achievements. <laughs> they can hold their breath for a long time, you know, and things like that. They can turn a cow into feeding a whole army, you know, things like that. So, um, so we're looking perhaps uh, uh, to some of, of uh, these um, heroes of a spiritual past. Um, for sure, that has been my entry into yoga. At first, um, I was interested in it of two reasons. Because I found that the movements were very, very interesting. And in those days, I was working as a choreographer and I was making dances, I was making theater pieces. And I thought that there was a whole um, pool of uh, inspiration uh, to draw upon in, uh, in movement creation, in movement invention. And then, uh, second, there was um, my body was pretty broken because I'd had a big accident, <clears throat> so I was using it to heal. But perhaps on an even deeper level, I was looking for uh, what I was just talking about before, something that was uplifting to me. Someone to see and be around people that had found a key to living that was promising and inspiring. Something like that. And uh, I've been working in the art for a long time, and I think art was that for me. It was uh, like a, almost like a divine inspiration. But most artists, I don't know if you've ever worked in the art, they are as messed up as anywhere else in life. <laughs> and what's nice about them is they usually don't cover it up. They expose all, we expose all our miseries on stage every night. So it's like, uh, that's kind of, uh, I like that part. All right, <clears throat> so, um, so for us, perhaps in here, we're looking to yoga for our, our heroes. And um, when we start to look at yoga, we start to look at the tradition, we start to look at the parampara, we start to look at the lineage. Parampara li literally just means someone handing down information from one person to the next person, from one generation to the next generation, and so forth. The idea here is that knowledge is sacred, and that knowledge can free, and that knowledge can improve lives and that it needs to be passed from one person to another, from one generation to another. So, what is important? Yeah, where did Patricia go? Yeah, where did she go? So, the idea is that one person needs to know something, take the knowledge on, and then pass that on to the next generation and make sure it doesn't get lost. There's a couple of ways it can get lost. It can get lost if the person that takes on the knowledge begins to contaminate the knowledge with non-time-tested new ideas, which is questionable or kind. That's one way. Another way that knowledge can be lost is that there's no one to pass it over to. That I sit with all this amazing knowledge, but none of you are interested or my teacher sit with all this knowledge and I'm not interested. 
That's another way that it can get lost. So therefore, lineage is important. Lineage is necessary for evolution of mankind. Um, so in our Ashtanga Yoga tradition, we have Sharat, who is at the moment what we call the Parama Guru. Parama means the absolute, the absolute, not the absolute, the absolute, the primary guru of the Ashtanga Yoga tradition. That is one way we can look at it. He is the holder of the lineage. He's the head of the lineage right now. I think that's how he looks at it. That's why he has to be called uh, that. His teacher was Patabi Joyce, his grandfather. So in that regard, that's a bloodline. So we have grandfather passing it on to uh, grandson. But Tabi Joyce's teacher was not in his family. He was from a different family. He was Krishnamacharya, he didn't have the wall out there. He was Tabi Joyce's teacher. He was also Ayenga's teacher. And many other uh, yoga styles teach that that's why we have him, because it's a little more inclusive to put him than to put Tabi Joyce's Sharath 18 feet high out there. Um, so uh, Krishnamacharya, again, he had a teacher. He was also not family. Uh, his name was uh, Rama Mohan uh, Brahmacharya. And from there on, we don't know where uh, he got his information. That's as far back that goes. Uh, we are all now part of that lineage. We are all part of that tradition. We are the new seats on that uh, branch. And let's see who of us is going to be the Paramaguru in the next uh, generation. <laughs> to see. Maybe Suka, you can be. <laughs> like, yes. She's want to get pet. Okay. Um, so one of the things that in the in this like yogic tradition is very important is that there is respect. There's respect from the teachers to the student, there's respect from the uh, student to the teacher. Without the gratefulness, without the respect, without the appreciation, without the curiosity, no information gets passed along, nothing gets, uh, gets learned. So um, today you notice that when we start, every, every time we start our class in Shtanga Yoga, we say Bhante Buddha Nam. Basically what we say is, I will bow to the feet of the gurus and I will try to learn. I will try to learn the good knowledge from the doctor of the jungle. Whoa, that's Patanjali. He's the, the doctor, he is in the jungle. What is a jungle? It's a wild, crazy, dangerous, dark place. And uh, in there many things can happen and there's poison in the jungle. There's many, many diseases that can happen. And uh, the teacher, the guru, in this case, Patanjali is here to try to remove the poison and to uh, instead teach us knowledgeable, useful, uh, wise uh, stuff. Yeah. So um, that little uh, chant at the beginning is basically to say thank you, Patanjali, for bringing this information along through generations, through thousands of years. And uh, part of that what we're also saying is thank you to whoever has picked this up and is now presenting it to me in today. That was Guru Ishmael. <laughs> um, okay. So, how you doing? So far so good? So there's levels of teachers, there's levels of educators, which is very important. 
So before we come to Guruhood, which is kind of like in this tradition, like the supreme version of it, we have friendship as a very good and first beginning of how to get information transmitted from one uh, to another. Um, if we have someone to share with, if we have someone who knows little less than us, who knows about the same as us, or who knows more than us, that is really a fortunate situation. And we find it in the yoga shala every day. When we go in, I, Isma, today she learned to teach me to do Navasana. I don't know Navasana. So, because Isma, she's busy, she has so many students, I can ask Patricia, she's practicing next to me, I can say, hey, how was that movement today? Can you help me out a little bit? I see you've been doing that for a while. So that is one level of teacher. That is one way of beginning to get the ancient information. Um, from the other side, uh, Patricia has been in the same situation. So beginning to help me understand Navasana is her passing the information on and her deepening her own understanding of that. As a teacher, every time we deliver, every time we deliver the information, we, we share the information, we learn once again. We're being reminded what it was all about. Um, the next level is just teacher. And <clears throat> how many of you are teaching yoga or anything? Many people, yes. So there's some uh, studies, I think many, maybe, that uh, proves that the primary um, uh, power uh, that, is, that the, um, the student can lean into to learn, the primary, the principal thing that makes a student learn is their teacher, their inspiration, their uh, interest in their teacher, their connection with their teacher. So I think as teachers, we, we have to realize that. If we are teaching, it's on us, man. We have to, to take it, it serious uh, in that kind. Um, I, I have a, I download a little line here that says, well-documented studies show that the single most important factor affecting a student's learning process is their teacher. And I remember that from my own uh, school years, I was kind of like a dog in school. When I had an interesting teacher, I got good grades. When I had a non-interesting teacher, according to me, then I got bad grades. So I was just like, you know what I mean? Not really able to lift myself any higher uh, than, than that. At least in those moments, probably still like that. We have to ask Kinos, you probably agree. Yeah, man, same, same today. Uh, so um, there's a couple of things that I think is, uh, uh, is important for maybe three things that is uh, uh, important uh, for us teachers uh, when we're trying to teach. And one is that nice to be passionate for the subject. If there's not passion for the subject, well, how can we how can we pass the fire? You know. So there needs to be that. And then another thing that needs to be is that needs to be genuine interest or genuine care for the student that we care that the student get this in the right manner. And that the student gets it in such a way, so especially in yoga, so it helps the student in their lives. It invigorates positivity in their, in their lives. Um, and then I think the way we can do that, and also what's a little bit our, uh, uh, what our uh, responsibility, um, is to present new ideas 
to present new ideas, to present the possibility of new logic, to present the possibility of a more, not just pliable hamstring, but pliable mind. So that the student begin to uh, allow, or that we as aspirants begin to allow logics we hadn't thought about before. And just like challenge that little bit, push into that little bit, because let's face it, logic is awesome, but there's so many of them. If you don't know it, just try to notice next time you have an argument with your spouse, you will notice many arguments are there, many logics are there, not only one. All right, and then I realized one more thing I thought to say about teachers and also guru, gurus is that um, I think it's important for a teacher to create a situation which is comfortable for the, te for the student to learn, that is interesting for the teacher to learn, where curiosity can uh, sprout. Um, but we're not just trying to be entertaining, we are trying to get real knowledge across. So we have to find a way to create a, a comfortable environment and real knowledge must be passed on. Sometimes I think that's a problem in yoga these days. Sometimes I feel that there is a move towards yoga as petting, as like, we should just come and feel good. It's like, yeah, but that's not gonna take us very far. That's what I personally like about Ashtanga Yoga. It goes way beyond petting. Just notice Esmeralda's class today. <laughs> so. So, a friend is maybe first layer, first level that needs to be attained. A teacher, second layer, uh, is must be attained in a successful um, transmission of information. Now, when we go a little bit higher, that's when we start to talk about Guru. So, Guru is not just friend, Guru is not just a teacher, Guru is a little bit higher. First of all, the subject matter is not geography or finances or something like that. The subject matter is liberation. <laughs> the subject matter is liberation of this human being. If you want to take it a step further, the subject matter is liberation of the student's soul. It's a big deal. So, um, how do you teach that? How is that taught? you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. So this is about how to live your life, which is based on what is important and what is not important, what is essential and what is not essential. And in the yoga tradition, we say there's many lives, first of all, and then we also say that there's something else than life itself. Life is there for a purpose. Life serves a purpose. Life serves to learn. Learn what and who is learning is the big question. So, from the yogic perspective, there is such a thing as a soul, there is such a thing as a... Uh, Patanjali says it very, in very liberal terms. He says there is a true form, there is a deeper sense of self. That deeper sense of self is what passes from moment to moment, from life to life, uh, and so forth. And the aim of this true, deeper self is to learn. And finally, when we have had all experiences, liberation comes. Not before we've had all experiences, is liberation even possible? Now, mind you, what uh, 
What is being said here is all experiences, not only nice experiences. <laughs> yeah, every experience is supposed to be known. When all that is experienceable is has been experienced, we are omniscient. Does that make sense? Then we are almost godlike. At that moment, potentially says we don't need the body anymore. So I don't know about you, but I still have a couple of steps to go in that uh, in that uh, path. <clears throat> All right. So the Guru is exactly that. He is the one that is going to make us understand what life is in the big picture. Therefore, he is called Guru. Guru means the expeller of darkness. So it also means the heavy one, not as the fat one necessarily, could be, but as the one that truly sits with substance. So Guru means the heavy one, means the one that has the possibility to remove the darkness, to make light happen, to make enlightenment happen, to make us able to see, to make us move from this caved-in inability to, to experience and see um, in big and small, and into a place where everything is experienceable. Um, so the idea here again, like in the mantra we say in the morning, is that he is the doctor and he has the medicine that will make us healthy, healed and so forth. Um, so it's considered um, a great privilege, a great fortune, if we find a knowledgeable, a deeply knowledgeable teacher, a deeply knowledgeable guru. Because that person will become like a well for us that we can drink from, that we can go to and learn from for our own, uh, for our own uh, benefit. Um, all right, how are you doing? Good? So we're getting a little big here. It's getting a little bit bigger. You can see uh, this whole idea. Um, so one of the things that in the in the Indian tradition is very important when we um, identify a guru. That's another whole subject. How do you identify a guru? Whoa. Do you have the skills to see who's a guru? Can you see that I'm a big guru, for instance? Oh, I'm kidding. Um, first time I came to India and I met Pataba Joyce. So he's a big, heavy, fat, set man with ashes in his forehead and a little bindu and um, he wears uh, the traditional style of clothing, uh, sometimes saffron, mostly white. Uh, he has some beads and mala around his neck. He also has a big golden Rolex on his left wrist, but that's enough. So he kind of looks the part for better or worse. <clears throat> so when I showed up, um, I thought, this is a yoga master. And I felt in his presence, I felt this is a master of yoga. And his charisma was striking. Um, and um, he had command of the room. It was very, very clear. There's something going on in this man. So that was very impressive. And I was very inspired by him from the very first day I met him. Then after you practice, you go outside and you have coconut water but they come in coconuts, not in bottles down there. So. And then everybody's talking. So I started to talk with some of the people that had been there for a long time. And there was a significant amount of people there 
that was of the opinion that Tabu Joyce was an enlightened human being. For me, enlightened human being is almost like otherworldly. And I, first I was going to object, I was like, how can you say that, Patricia? It's like, how can you say he's enlightened? And second, I was thinking, how would I know? you know, if he's enlightened or not. So I would start to ask my friends, why do you think, Patricia, that he's enlightened? And um, to be honest with you, um, I never thought he was enlightened. I thought he was perhaps working on it, but then he was definitely steps ahead of me. And I had great uh, hopes in, I saw him as a man that I would could aspire to be. Uh, like, what can you be as a human being when you use your life really, really constructively. Uh, and I thought of like that as my David Bowie type hero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Later that changed, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so, uh, one of the things that I think is very important and that um, ancient text on yoga says, it's like, what is important to be a yoga aspirant? What is important to be a teacher? What is important to be a guru? And there is one guiding principles, and that is the yamas from the Ashtanga Yoga. So the yamas is the very first um, limb of Ashtanga Yoga, and it says you must uh, live by ahimsa. You must have a, take a committed vow to not live in a hurtful manner. You cannot work, You cannot live in a manner that is harmful. Dalai Lama he says it fun. He says try not to. No, he says don't harm anybody. Uh, at least try not to. <laughs> so, uh, that is principle number one. By the way, the Buddhists, they, they say things better sometimes, I feel, than the yogis. And they call non-harmfulness, they call that kindness. They call that loving-kindness. It's just like, yeah, it's a better way of describing it, I feel. The second principle in the yamas, there's five of them, is uh, satya. It means to tell the truth, to, to be truthful and to be trustworthy. How do you become trustworthy? Well, you do what you say, you say what you do. That's the first thing. You make sure that you don't harm anybody and you do what you say and you say what you do. Then trustworthiness becomes, begins to uh, flourish all by itself. Next one is called Asteya. It means not stealing. Don't take what is not yours of any kind. So, uh, Patricia, she got a new iPhone last week, so I have the old iPhone, so I would very much like that one over there, but it's not mine, so I can't have it. So I have to stick with my old iPhone uh, over here. It's not so bad. No. <laughs> so there's that, of course, in that principle. It also means that interruption would be such a thing. There would be taking someone else's speech time and so forth. There's many, many ways that we can uh, steal from each other. We can take what is not ours. Uh, the next one is the interesting one, is Brahmacharya. The one you've been waiting for since I mentioned the Yamas. <clears throat> so, Brahmacharya. Brahma means the, the absolute. It means God, if you are theistically inclined. Uh, or it means everything. The big tapestry. The big tapestry within which the construction of God exists. A Godhead exists, and so forth. So, 
Charya means to be focused on, to be uh, embedded in, to be interested in, to be exasperated by. So, um, uh, Brahmacharya means someone that has their full uh, attention on this higher, bigger, higher consciousness picture. So, um, that kind of person doesn't have time for anything else. So, uh, when we're talking about Brahmacharya, we are talking about someone that is not very interested in sexual conduct, in sexual activities. And one of the ways that we uh, translate Brahmacharya is celibacy. I think that these modern times, in a different culture, in a different time, I think there's a better word for celibacy. I think it has a cultural and um, uh, outdated uh, principle. I think perhaps one way that I understand it these days is ethical sexual conduct rather than celibacy. At some moment that meant celibacy. Just don't do it. Now these days it is working. We are like, but what we can talk about is sexual conduct has to be of ethical kind. What does ethical sexual conduct mean? It means it means to be with love and kindness. You need to be trustworthy. You need to say what you do and do what you say. And you cannot take what's not yours. Those are the three guiding principles for uh, ethical sexual conduct. We can keep going. Depending on what uh, grouping, what demographic you are part of, there's different ways of doing that. If you, if you live in South Indian classical orthodox uh, religious uh, community, then maybe celibacy is still it. But if you live in the Castro district in San Francisco, it might be different than celibacy. You know what I mean? And so forth. If you live in um, the Middle East, compared to Copenhagen, Denmark, where I live from, it's a very different thing. What is the ethical sexual conduct? <laughs> so, um, blah, 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 I think you get the picture. Uh, finally, we have aparigraha, which means uh, non-attachment. So we should be non-attachment. So a yoga aspirant, a yoga teacher, or a guru should be uh, non-attached. Are you sure you want to quit all applications and log out now? No, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> um, people in the machine, can you hear me? Are you good in there? Jill, you good? Okay, super. So the last one, uh, non-attachment. So when you hear attachment, I want you to hear dependency. I want to hear craving. I don't want you to hear, ah, I like that. No, we're talking a whole other level. We're talking addiction, basically. We are talking about that you cannot function if you don't get it. Yeah? So <clears throat> we're talking about that. Here's an example from my philosophy teacher. If you aspire to uh, climb up the Mount Everest and you train and train for it, but then you learn that up there you cannot have hot tea in the morning and you are dependent on having a hot cup of, maybe coffee is a better example, a hot cup of coffee every day when you wake up for many reasons, and then you cannot climb Mount Everest. You have to figure out 
am I going to have my hot coffee or am I going to climb Mount Everest? If the coffee is so important for you, well, you have to let go of Mount Everest. By the way, these days I think we have like some small camping version, so you can still have your hot coffee over there, but I'm not sure. So, the idea is that there are cravings in our lives that limit us in our, um, in our happiness, in our ability to uh, lead useful uh, lives. Those, we have to let go of them. Um, in regards to yoga, it is we have to let go of the cravings that is an obstacle to our yoga journey. Yeah? Here's an idea. Oh, I like to go to bed late at night and wake up late in the morning. <laughs> but Esmith's class is at 6 a.m. Oh, sorry, I can't do Esmith's class. Oh. So now, what do I have to let go of? Esmith's class or my craving to watch Breaking Bad till 11.30 p.m. every night? Which one is it gonna go? So, depending on our cravings, we have to try to see what is of essential kind in our life and what is of non-essential kind. And Patanjali's proposition is whatever is non-essential, let go of that craving. It's in there. Whatever is an essential craving, a craving towards essential, I want to have liberation, I want to be able to do Bhujabhidasana, jump back even from Bhujabhidasana, that Patanjali says, oh, you can hang on to that for a while. Why? Because it takes you deeper into yoga, instead of further away from yoga. Yeah? If you want to drink a bottle of tequila every night, that's going to take you further away from yoga. If you want to learn to jump back from Bhujabhidasana, that's going to take you deeper into yoga. Yeah? So, you can hang on to the cravings that takes you deeper. You should be letting go of all the ones that are taking you away from That Patanjali's position. So these five, loving-kindness, truthfulness, don't take what's not yours, ethical uh, sexual conduct, and let go of whatever is not essential, they are the key factors that must be um, approached by the aspirant, lived by, by the teacher, and mastered by the good. No question about it according to Yogi Shastra. Yeah? We call it the Big Wow. How's it going? You okay? Alright. So, um, but sometimes these, this vow is hard to... Sorry, we have the torture on the other room. Okay, you go get tortured in there. <laughs> So, sometimes we, we meet people that does not live by the yamas. That is very common. Most people in this world is not living by the yamas. It's not interested in living by the yamas. That's fine, but just you then cannot call yourself a yogi. Not possible. So, when the yamas is not followed, then we say everything falls apart. That happened in the Ashtanga Yoga tradition. So, Patapi Joyce, whom I thought was this epitome of nobility, later on I realized that he had been touching women on their lady parts inside the Yogashala in ways he never should have done. So, he took what was not yours. He was not living by the Yamas. He was not able to let go of his cravings and he was not living by 
uh, ethical sexual conduct, and he took what is not yours, and therefore he was um, not trustworthy, and so many people got hurt from it, so therefore he didn't live by himself. Big problem. So um, when that happens, it is very, very hurtful for the tradition. Like it has created a big, many uh, Ashtangis have stopped uh, practicing because of it. Um, me, for my own part, it is now about four years ago since these revelations, since I began to believe that it was true. Up till then I was like, it must have been a misunderstanding. He didn't touch me, he didn't touch my wife. Started to call my friends, they said he touched me. So, it changed for me. So, um, so that was problematic. So, what I'm coming into here is, what do you do when we are in a, in a tradition where the ideal situation for the student to learn is to surrender ourselves to the good, surrender ourselves as in, I don't know why he does this, I don't know why he asked me to do this, but he's so knowledgeable and I know nothing, so I will bypass my own judgment and my own logic in the attempt to meet new logic and therefore grow and develop as a human being. That's the idea. But what do we, how do we find a person that is trustworthy of such trust, of such surrender? That is a very good question. So there's a text called the Kula, Kula Arnava, which talks a little bit about this problem. And I thought I wanted to, uh, maybe I could just quote a little bit what um, this text says about it. So it says, Would you do me a favor, would you close that door? Thank you, Patricia. <clears throat> Gurus are as numerous as lambs in every house. But, oh goddess, difficult to find is a guru who lights up everything like the sun. Gurus who are proficient in the Vedas, that is like the Bible, like the primary text of this world, whatever that means to you. Textbooks, gurus who are proficient in Vedas, textbooks, books, and so on, are numerous. But, oh goddess, Difficult to find is a guru who is proficient in the supreme truth. Gurus who rob their disciples of their wealth are numerous. But, oh goddess, difficult to find is a guru who removes the disciples' suffering. You can hear we're talking about the same thing as we talked about earlier. Numerous here on earth are those who are intent on social class, stages of life and of family. But he who is devoid of all concerns, all attachment, all cravings, is a guru. Oh, difficult to find. An intelligent man slash woman, it's like from another era, right? Should choose a guru by whom supreme bliss is attained and only such a guru and none other. Um, so, you know, we might sometimes think that um, the problem of finding qualified teaching is a modern thing. You can hear this is about, this is from, I believe, 1150, this text. 
So this is like a thousand years old. So even back then they had issues with that. <laughs> so it's a thing that is going on and on, and it's a thing that we should be uh, looking out for. So when we walk into the yoga room, uh, luckily here in the West, it's not so much a situation of surrendering to a guru. What it is, is more here in the West, we talk about teachers, and we can be knowledgeable teachers, we can be masters, or we can be new aspiring uh, teachers, both is, is uh, possible. But whatever we do, some difference of authority from the student to the teacher is necessary. It's just the way it is. And when we do that, it's possible that the person that we thought knew doesn't know. So what do we do then? It's even possible worse than that. So what happens when the person in front of us doesn't know in the yoga room is we get hurt. Maybe because their movement cues was wrong, or maybe because what Patapa Joes was, that they did not have ethical sexual conduct. It can get much worse than Patapa Joes. We have, what's his name? Uh, Bikram, who uh, took it to a whole other level. <laughs> um, and so forth. Um, so, and when that happens, when these unfortunate things happen, that happen all the time from your local corner shop yoga shala to the highest guru that uh, walks around in saffron uh, clothing in, in India, then trauma is the, is the result. And um, when these things happen, it becomes devolution instead of evolution. So it's very unfortunate. So my proposition to all of you, especially you women in this room, is take care of yourself. You know, trust, but hold back a little inch, you know. <laughs> hold back a little inch on that. So just to not end on that note, <laughs> what could we, uh, what could we call, how could we um, detect a friendly guy uh, besides um, cross-reference with the yamas? The Buddhists have a thing that they say should be um, present in any teacher, high or low. And they call it Kalyana Mitra. So, Kalyana means good, true, virtuous, noble, beneficial, constructive, so forth. And Mitra means friend. It comes from the word Maitri, which you might know from the sutras, which means compassion. So, Kalyana Mitra means a, <clears throat> means a good friend. Someone that has your best interest at heart. That that principle needs to be there from practice body to teacher to guru. So a guru, a grand teacher in the Buddhist tradition, um, the base layer of that is Kalyana Mitra. It is the good friend, the benevolent friend. Um, and the Buddha goes even further. He says that such a relationship is quintessential for on the spiritual path. And it goes back to the whole idea that the teacher cares about the student, cares about the student's well-being and cares about the sacred knowledge. And that the sacred knowledge can do even more good for the, for the student. 
Um, so in that regard, the guru and the teacher's uh, role is to um, uh, learn the student to be uh, constructive, to teach the student constructive behavior. And that is constructive thinking, constructive speaking and constructive behavior towards themselves, towards other people, to life, towards life itself. So happiness can be achieved in this lifetime and enlightenment can be achieved in the big picture. Without it, it becomes difficult. So therefore we say that the wise teacher and the devoted student is as good as it gets in yoga. That is the foundation for good spiritual path in the yoga teaching. <clears throat> and then let me quote my teacher one more time, uh, Professor Rao from Mysore. He says that for a successful spiritual journey, that is, uh, there's different people that is responsible for that. So the student is responsible for 25% of the effort of that. The student's effort constitutes 25% of the spiritual way. The teacher's effort is another 25%. Your friends, your community, your practice buddies is another 25%. The support of a Sangha, we call it. But there's someone you can talk to because God knows your uncle is not interested whether you put your leg behind the head or not, right? So who are you going to talk to about it? Well, you know, your teacher is busy teaching, so if you have some other people you can discuss for hours about, you know, whether you should clench your anus in backbend or not, you know, that is, uh, that is equally interested in that. That's very useful. And then the last thing is time. That we must give it time. So I will do the best I can. My teacher does the best I can. I have a support of a community that says, if I don't show up, they say, hey Tim, why didn't you show up for six o'clock? Six o'clock is me torture this morning. We were all there. It's like, oh, sorry. Then tomorrow, when I don't want to get up, I think, oh, Patricia, she's going to bother me again about it. So then I show up. So we have some support. And then when that is there, then we gotta give it time. You cannot just come once and expect to be able to do all six series. You have to come at least two times, then you can do all six series. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more. So what's kind of relieving in this is that I'm just in charge of 25% and some patience. That's it. That's my, my job. Now if I don't have a teacher, if I don't have a community, I'm in charge of 75% much more difficult. We all tried it during COVID. Uh, we had to go home and practice in our bedroom and try not to land on our cat when we jump back. <laughs> so, different. All right, that's what I had to say today. See, it was 45 minutes. I thought it was going to be 30. So, <laughs> um, so uh, having said that, <clears throat> we still have a little bit of time. We have like, yeah, whatever you want, basically. Um, I think this class is supposed to go to 12, so at least we have 12 minutes. But uh, I'm here a little longer if you want. Um, so let's open it up and I'll shut up. And if you have any comments or questions or things you want to share, then uh, now's the time. Yeah, I'll go.
safe level to uh, and it's also a very joyful level to exist on to come in and meet good people and share with good people I think it's a, a wonderful thing I think the thing is that if and I think yoga has that possibility to and it's it, let's fa- face it that in itself is so incredibly healing for all the traumas that we all walk around with whatever they are and from whatever they are Um, so I think uh, that's a really, really uh, uh, healthy stance. <clears throat> I think the the, uh, the 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 thing I was trying to say today also is that after that level, yoga is more ambitious. It wants more than just happiness now. It's like, yeah, you guys, you went out and you had a great lunch. That's awesome. You know, you can probably uh, that will sit with you, like in your DNA for the rest of your life, and it'll sit in your emotional comfortness for the next week. That's awesome. But Patanjali wants more. He wants 
your soul's liberation. So even if you don't get to go out with your friends, you know, even if you don't get to go out with your friends, you are still content. You are still at a state, of, at a, a peaceful state, and, and and so forth. And to get to that level, we need the next level of teaching. And to get the next level of teacher, we need the next level of surrender. And that's why the, this the system gets really difficult sometimes, because we can be hurt, we can be calmed, we can be so so many things. But uh, I, I agree with you. I think what you're talking about is the Kalyana Mitra. It's like as a base layer. I think without that, without that start, it's like what is there? Thanks. Thank you. I would want to connect to iCloud. <laughs> I just said cancel. Uh, Tim, uh, Lucas. Two things you said like a few years ago in a workshop that I, uh, I really like and it made more sense uh, as years passed is that um, so with your teacher you surrender uh, but you always keep your eye open so you don't close both eyes and you, you keep your eye open on, uh, even though you're there and you're willing to learn from him. And the other thing is uh, thinking about the teacher not as a perfect person or uh, an idealized version, but as someone who has a quality or knowledge that you aspire. And also I think that the more we accept our own uh, flaws and contradictions, the better we can make use of uh, the teacher's knowledge. So that we can see that he's a person that is imperfect also, but also has uh, good qualities. And so in that way, if we, if we know that the teacher or, or the guru will not be perfect, and we accept that they will not be perfect, uh, we can be more aware that they may do wrong things, and so we, it inspires us to keep our eyes open, even though it's a person that has walked the path and has good qualities, but uh, it's another person so which will, uh, that will have uh, contradictions and flaws, so we keep our eyes open and even though we're there to learn and to surrender sometimes. I think, uh, yeah, <clears throat> um, if I said that all of that, I must have, must have had a good day. <laughs> uh, I totally agree with you, Lucas, and I, I was just reminded of what you say is that from Patanjali's point of view, since we're talking about like the big yoga and the guru and the disciple and how do you get to learning in a higher consciousness setting and so forth, Patanjali, he also very, very clearly states that we all have the glaciers within us. If there is a body, there's glaciers. What is the glaciers? Jesus is the thing that makes us non-noble human beings. It is ego, it is neuroses, it is envy, greed, anger, um, uh, dejection, all these kind of things that works against us. And Patanjali says that these seeds are present in every single person. If you meet a person that has a body, they will have these seeds. Only the moment when these seeds are not there, Patanjali states, that soul, person, doesn't need the body anymore. 
So if you need a person, if you meet a person without a body, probably klesias are gone. <laughs> but if you meet the, the rest of people that you meet that has a body, probably klesias, or for sure, klesias are still there. These seeds are still there. And he also claims that these seeds can be in a full bloom uh, condition, or they can be in an interrupted condition, or they can be in a, a dormant uh, position. So it's like smoking. You can be smoking five packs of cigarettes every day, like that's your addiction, or you can be in a situation where you can't get your head, hands on any cigarettes, so therefore you're not smoking. Or you can have quit smoking, um, but it might come back one day. You might fall back. You might fall off the wagon again one day. So, which one, which state is the Klesias in is the question. Hopefully, for the Guru, it is very, very dormant. And for more normal people, they are in full bloom or they are in some other kind of state. But as you say, therefore, so we all have that, and the Guru has that, and the guy with the ashes in, the fore in his forehead has that, and Sai Baba has that, and whoever else you can think about that is potentially presenting this glimmering, shiny image of spiritual accomplishment, they still have that. Can they handle it or not? Tabby Joyce couldn't. Um, so therefore, like keeping the eyes open is a good idea. Is my guru falling off the wagon? Is he chain smoking again? <laughs> or is he just in secret having a little fag in the alley with his old schoolmates? Who knows? Thank you, Lucas. What else? Anything else? <clears throat> last question, last comment? Yes. I was going to say something as a student because I don't really teach, I don't teach yoga. Yeah. But I think it's also important as a student to not necessarily have, like maybe you have your guru, but pushing yourself to try new yoga studios or try new teachers because you can hold them to this pedestal, but then you might try someone else and then realize, oh wait, this was actually maybe not the best thing they said, or... So being open to learning from more than just one person, I think is really important. And like having your community and talking to friends, I think is helps, right? And the fact that you said 25% is for the guru, yes. I think maybe people think it should be 75%, right? right. But just, it's a little part of it, so yeah. open up to new things. I thought that was... I think that's a super good point. What, what's your name? Regina. Regina? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Regina. I think that's a really good point. <clears throat> um, in the Tibetan tradition, like if we look back at this tradition of like spiritual passing, like passing of spiritual information through generations and so forth, they say, look for your Guru from day one, but take at least 10 years finding him or her. Try many different teachers, Go and look who is right for you. Then, at some moment, it is recommended to settle on one, to have a core teacher you go to. Because every teacher has a little bit different version of the truth, a different experience of the truth. And 
the way that they will be pre presenting it can be confusing. For instance, you know Pataka Joyce, we're teaching this like asana torture. <laughs> and um, if you go to Ayinga, he has a very different kind of torture that he's putting us through. So if I uh, go to Pataka Joyce for 10 years, and I then go to Ayinga's class, I would think Ayinga is all wrong. But we know, I think, we, we accept Ayinga, right? <laughs> we accept that he has the truth too. So, but if I keep going to 10 different teachers, I can get very confused, which of them is, is correct. So it is recommended um, to, over a period of time, figure out which works for me. Which is which sits better, and it's chemistry, and it's like all that kind of uh, uh, things. Uh, there's a little analogy that is used. It's like if you want to, if you want to find water, dig one deep hole. Don't dig ten half deep holes. You will find no water. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but I think in the beginning, to just dig a lot of holes is a great idea. To try to figure out, do I like to dig holes? You know? <laughs> And then later on, then we try to, to settle down. But everything in its right time, first things first. Good point. All right. <laughs> Shall we call it Saturday? Anything else before we take off? People in the machine, you have anything you want to add? Yes? Berlin, you want to say something? No, you were just waving. You're just picking your nose. <laughs> no problem. All right, guys. Jill and Anonymous, Anonymous, and Belen and Arbery, thank you very much for today. And I uh, hope to see you all in person soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.